and nobody could convince her otherwise. She flashes back to this moment when, uh, when uh, in her loneliness, in her isolation, nobody else around her. She's on her own and, uh, and ends up believing some, that she is somebody that she in fact is not. And it's years later before she realizes who she truly is. And it's whenever she steps her foot into that footprint, she realizes that she is in fact a mammoth. She has this, she remembers who she is. And actually it's one of those things that, 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 I, that I think I'm going to find increasingly challenging as a parent. Because there is such a battle for, there is such a battle for my children. There is such a battle for our, for our children. And there's a battle for all of us. There's a battle for you as an individual. That the society will try to mold you into its shape. You will find yourself in times of isolation, in times of loneliness, in times of frustration. And somebody will come along and tell you, this is what you are. This is how you should behave. This is the way that you should look and act, behave and respond. And for some of us, we, we begin to believe that. And for me, I just feel like at the start of this new year, I th- identity is a thing that we do talk a lot about around here. And, and, I, and I don't make any apologies for it. I don't make any apologies for, comp- for continuing to repeat this same language that it is hugely significant that you know who you are. And I'm praying at the start of this year, you would have that moment. You would have that moment where maybe you flash back to that moment of salvation. That moment that you recognized that you needed Jesus. And he came and the chains fell off. Your heart was free and I'm alive to live for you. I'm praying at the start of this year that you would have a flashback to that moment. Your mind would be cast back to that moment where you would remember who you were. That what was Jesus's by nature is now yours by grace. That you are now dressed in his righteousness alone. And for those of us in Christ, everything that the Father says about Jesus, everything that he sees as he looks on Jesus, is the same thing that he sees as he looks upon you. It's the same thing that he says as he looks upon you for those of us that are in Jesus. And so I'm praying at the start of this year that you would remember who you are. You would have that moment where you step your foot into that footprint that you would remember who he said that you are what he created you for. I'm praying and believing that our kids would have that moment, that they would know what they're created for, they would know what they're destined for. But for all of us, we would have that moment. The world will try to cause you to take on the identity of something else or someone else, but we need a revelation. We need that flashback moment, remembering who we, who we are. See, at the start of this year, I, I don't know what your plans are. I don't know what your routine is as you come to the start of a new year. Whether you are one of these people that makes resolutions. I don't know whether you're one of these people that makes resolutions. Knowing that in two weeks' time, it'll, you'll have forgotten all about that resolution that you made. Maybe you are one of these people that makes a resolution and by this time next year, you've stuck to it. And uh, well done you. But we do, we, with some of us, we... We make resolutions, or other people encourage us to make resolutions. And, and, but my issue with it, my struggle that I've had probably over the last couple of years, is that all that we're doing is trying harder. <coughs> trying harder to... And, and maybe this isn't for everybody. Maybe this is too general. Forgive me if it's a bit unfair. But generally, the resolutions that we make are to look like somebody we've seen in a magazine, or 
to be like my neighbor or to create a goal because that is what society is telling you the goals of successful living are. And, and so we just start, we just try harder. And part of me would love to say to you at the start of this new year, as you maybe consider resolutions, as you maybe consider a resolution, just this firm decision to do or to not do something. And part of me wants to say to you this morning that's as, as odd as this might sound, and some people, please don't, some people might take it the wrong way, please don't. But I almost want to say to you, stop trying harder. Stop trying harder. See, Paul, Paul at the end of Romans chapter 7 says, says that this sort of language, like, hey, I, I do my best. I end up doing the things I don't want to do. I'm a, what a wretched man I am. Who can, who can deliver me from this body of death? I keep trying harder. I keep trying harder. And then, and then it's almost unfortunate that we have those chapter, chapter divisions. Those chapter divisions were never there when Paul wrote the book of Romans. Because he says, who's going to deliver me from this? And, he said, and then he comes to this conclusion, therefore. He thinks back to what he said. And then he has, this, he has this revelation. Actually, there's no condemnation for those that are in Jesus. For those of us that are in Jesus, if I can just remember that. If I can take hold of who I am in him. All these efforts of trying harder. The futility of having to try harder. I love what Billy has said as he got up. The first thing he got up to say, there's nothing you can do that's going to make him love you any less. There's absolutely nothing you can do that's going to make him love you any more. And so my prayer is that you have this revelation of who you are in him. You would have this revelation that what is Jesus's by nature is now yours by grace. Tweak that if you want. What is yours? What is Jesus's by nature is now yours by grace. Really important. I think it's really significant. I'll, uh, this, these are some of the thoughts that are not fully formed yet. But there's the, the story of Michelangelo. Michelangelo was, this, it was an incredible sculptor. And, uh, and I don't know how many of you are familiar with the works of Michelangelo. But there's one of his most famous sculpting is, uh, is, is one of David. And, uh, and he's, asked this, he's asked this question. He's asked about his methods. He asked about how, you, how are you able to do that? What I, the thing that I love about Michelangelo's response to this, whether he actually said it or not, is up for debate. But this morning, let's say that he did say it. He was asked, how is it that you do that? What is the skill? What is the technique? And he said this line, you just chip away the stone that doesn't look like David. See, it's, it's told that Michelangelo, he's seen there was just, it's, to us it was a block of stone. To us it was just a block of stone, and then he, he, he starts to create he starts to, to form something. But for Michelangelo, he, he could see David. As he looked at this block of stone, he could see David and he started to chisel away at the things that didn't look like him. And I think that's just what the Holy Spirit longs to do in us this year. That, that the Holy Spirit would chisel away at the things that don't look like Jesus. See, because he, he doesn't have to form us. That's already who we are. We already are in him. The Father looks at us and he sees Jesus. And we are still in these fleshly bodies. But the Holy Spirit comes not, to, not necessarily to form us into, into looking more like Jesus, but actually just to come because it's already there. It's already there and he just begins to, to chisel away, to chip away at the things that don't look like Jesus. Chip away like Michelangelo, the things that don't look like David and the Holy Spirit this year would begin to chip away at those things that don't 
look like Jesus. And what is already there would begin to be revealed. The Holy Spirit longs to do that. See, for me, I'm, I'm at this place at the minute where I'm, I'm just thinking. Because I'm at this stage. I've, I've done the whole resolution thing. Got frustrated with it. Absolute, feeling like it's completely pointless. And I end up swinging the pendulum the other way completely and say, forget about that. I'm parking all of that sort of conversation. All of that talk. And this mightn't be for everybody, but for me, the language of rhythms. This language of rhythms has become really important to me. Really significant as I begin to think about rhythms. See, resolution is this firm decision to do something or to not do something, but a rhythm is this strong, repeated pattern of movement. And so that's why I'm starting to try to think like rhythms. This mightn't be for everybody, but I I would hope it would be for some, that you would maybe start to think about those rhythms in in your life. My my heart's desire, my, my longing for me, and my prayer for you over the last couple of days has been that we would begin to redeem the routines of life. The routines of life. Maybe rather than adding on another thing as a resolution or taking out a thing as a resolution, that maybe we would just redeem the routines of life. See, every one of us, we're all, we're all connected in some way with the routines of life. We all slept last night, some not as, many, not as much as others. But we all have the same pattern. We all have this pattern that we, at night time we go to bed and hopefully we get some good rest. It's a gift from the Lord, and I think we don't have a good enough theology of sleep, but that's for another time. But there's a, this routine. We are involved in work, school, sleeping, eating, traveling, back and forth in our cars. And for me, I'm just at this place where I'm like, how, do I, how can I redeem those routines of life? What rhythms can I put in place? What patterns of movement can I set in place that I'm not just coming to, to try harder? To use my willpower to do something, but what, what, what is there that I can set in place? What movements, what patterns can I set in place that I can redeem these routines of life? What can I do that would establish a better, continual, intentional pattern of life? See, I'm going really quickly. I'm aware of that. I hope you just catch something. But I, I, was, t- I was talking to David last night, and I think... We, we talk a lot about, we, we use this language a lot about, it's not about rules and regulations, it's all about relationship. And that's true. But again, if you're like me, I'm not saying everybody is, thankfully. If you're like me, you, you end up taking, right, it's not about rules and regulations, and we swing the pendulum the complete other way and have no regulations, have no rules, have no rhythms. And we, we lack because of that. I lack because I've dismissed this at the excuse of saying it's all about relationship. Forget about order and rhythm and pattern. It's all about relationship. That's all Jesus it matters to Jesus. But I found myself about a month ago looking through, looking through Luke's gospel and to get into chapters 20, 21, and 22 and actually seeing that Jesus lived in this sort of, this strong, repeated pattern of movement. I think Jesus is the example of how to live in in rhythm, and how to have a set place. Again, I love that Billy, is, as he stood before us, said he, has, he goes to his room, gets to his room, this designated room, and just worships Jesus, just bees with him. And see, the fa- that's, what, that's what Jesus did with the Father in Luke chapter 21. So I, just find, I just find it interesting that it says in Luke 21, Luke 21 verse 37, says that each day, Jesus was teaching at the temple, and then each evening he went out to the Mount of Olives. 
See, Jesus had established this rhythm. Rhythms were really important to Jesus. He knew that this is what he was going to do, the teaching in the daytime, and then he had to get to the Father. He had to go and be with the Father at the Mount of Olives. He went out each night on the hill called the Mount of Olives. Luke 21, verse 37. And if you went on the next chapter, Luke 22, verse 39, it says that Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives. See, this, is what, this, is what, this was his pattern. This, is, was, this was part of his daily rhythm. He had redeemed the routines of life. Worked during the day, went teaching during the day, and then at night, it was, he established this rhythm of being, making sure he was at the Mount of Olives. Have to get to there. That's the place that he found. For, you, for some of us, it's not going to be heading to a mountain. But I think for all of us, I think we can find a place that it becomes like a thin place. We listened to, Brian, listened to Brian Heasley recently, and he talked about this chair that he has in his, in his room. has a chair in a room, and that's where he always goes. And it's the place where he feels closest to Jesus. This thin place. And that's my prayer for you, that you would find that place. In those rhythms of life, that you would find a place where you can go as usual. It's your usual pattern. Don't disrupt. Nothing else is getting in the way. I don't care if my favorite movie is coming on Channel 4 tonight at 9 o'clock. I have an established rhythm that I'm going to, 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 to meet with the Father. I'm, I'm, I'm going out as usual. Jesus was so busy. Nobody was more busy than Jesus. Jesus was riding the wave of incredible ministry life. He was so busy. Everybody wanted to get near to Jesus. But nothing disrupted the rhythms. Nothing disrupted those patterns, patterns of movement to get to that place of being with the Father. I think it's really important, and I'd love it that you would maybe, maybe find that place. You'd find that thin place where it feels so close. You feel so close. I, I almost reluctant to say this, but I feel like I just, that the last two times, and I'm going to make, I'm, I'm not, I promise you, I'm almost reluctant to do this now, because I'm not trying to make myself out some sort of super husband, but t- those last two times that I've done the ironing, the last two times I've done the ironing, Full basket. It only seems to be when I do a full basket. And it takes me about 45 minutes. But for some reason, the last two times, like, this is, this is crazy. Like, but, but I felt the presence of the Lord in, this, in the kitchen while doing the ironing more than I felt it anywhere else in my house. I'm trying to reject this. I'm trying to get rid of this. But it, I'm just worshiping. I feel, I feel like there's a freedom just to worship. I feel like I'm engaging with the Father. I feel like there's nothing else going on around me, but there's just this engagement with him. That the last time I did it, I just found myself just weeping while I was doing the ironing because his presence felt, felt so real. That's weird for you, forgive me, but that, like, just where I'm at, I'm just trying to find this place. Where can I find this place, this thin place? Please let it be somewhere else, not the ironing board. But I want to... <laughs> But Jesus was, Jesus was busy. There was lots happening. But he picked a place where he could go. He picked a place where he could go and established this daily rhythm. And so I'm encouraging you. You would set up rhythms that are true. Going back to the first point. You would set up rhythms that are true to who you are. Set up rhythms that are true to where you're at. I encourage you not to set, not to set goals that are so far away from where you're at. don't want to contradict myself. Because we want to do that next Sunday. We want to set goals and dreams and targets. But for the, as we speak of daily rhythms, as we speak of the patterns of life, set them. Set them to where you're at now. 
Set them to true to who you are. Look at the pattern of your day and your week. What routine could you redeem that is going to help you love God and to love people? See, that's what I want. That's what I want our lives to look like. That's what I want my life to, to be shaped by. What can I do with this routine that's going to reflect how much I love God and how much I love you? How much I love one, we love one another? Let me read from a guy called Robert Banks. He says, Unless I am clearing time for God to show himself to me and love me, to reveal his dreams for me and deepen my affection for him, to talk to and with me, and to empower me through the wide range of ways he makes his spirit available to me, I will never get very far into developing an integrated Christian life. And unless I am in a real relationship with a small group of fellow Christians, opening myself up to them, and learning how to love them, sharing my dreams with them, growing in sensitivity to them, reflecting on what God is saying, and opening to their correcting, I will only get so far, but no further. Unless we set up these rhythms and set up these routines that, that help us to love God more, and to love each other more, we will get so far but no further. Powerful statement from this guy, Robert Banks. There are two ideas that are still forming in me, and I hope that something around identity, remembering who you are, something around this idea of setting up daily rhythms is something that, that some of us, if not all of us, can take hold of this morning. There's one more thing that I want us to look at, one more clip that I want to show so uh, if you want to start at Kelly, uh, what on earth point are you trying to make now? Uh, but it's uh, it's the idea of, of friendship. It was uh, watching it was watching that clip uh, and seeing whenever Woody said we don't like being blown up. See, it was only it was only Buzz Lightyear that was about to be blown up and sent off into space, but actually. If one is going to suffer, we all suffer. And uh, that's why I want to present that to the kids, but I want to still present it to, to, to us this morning. Because sometimes I don't think that we always think that way. For me, one of the, one of the struggles I have, because, because I'm so passionate about uh, just relational investment. Like, I, now I don't know if Jenna stole that word, but Jenna used that language with me this week. Uh, this relational investment. Do you remember, Jenna? No, I could have just claimed it for myself then. But because, I, because I'm wired that way, I find it really hard whenever that is, our default is not always to think we. So somebody among us is struggling, so we are, we're getting it tight because there's, there's one among us that is having a really tough time. One among us is having a really bad week. Feels like the whole thing is about to blow up around them. We don't always think we. We think they. It's an awful what's happening to them. Sometimes longing that we would start to think we. They have this idea of friendship that we'd that we'd come out of nowhere in defence, in protection, in standing for, and in going against the enemy, and protecting and looking out for one another. See, in this same book by Robert Banks, this book was written in 1993. But as I was reading it, he makes this quote 20, 24 years ago now. 
He made this quote 23, 24 years ago. And this was before Facebook. This was before social media. This was before YouTube. This was before Roblox and Minecraft and all of those things. And I'm, I, I don't want to be one of those people that stands up and said it before. I don't want to stand up, although it might sound like I'm going to, to condemn social media, to condemn these forms of communication. But it's just whenever I read this guy's book, and he said that we, he's stirring people reading this book, that we need to revive the whole notion of friendship, for it is in serious danger of becoming superficial. There's times where I feel like that in the church. I'm talking about the church in general. But let's, be, let's, be, let's be courageous enough to think about this as our church family. Let's be courageous enough to think about this as an individual. How do you, how do you view friendship? How vital is one-on-one, flesh-to-flesh, eyeball-to-eyeball communication to you? Because I, I, I've grieved when I look at myself. I've, I, there's been times where, as, uh, upon reflection, and, I haven't, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm, in, I'm looking to set up intentional rhythms to stop this, but times at going to bed at night that I'll, I'll pick up my phone before going to bed with Judith and I'll, I'll flick through Twitter. What blogs do I miss in the last 45 minutes? What blog came up in the last 45 minutes that I could possibly have missed? What news article came up that I could potentially have missed? And I finish that and I, I'm almost finished and it's like it's half 12. I'll go up to my room and I'll finish off reading it while I sit in my bedside finish off browsing, set my phone down, put it in the charger, and Judith's sleeping. We do that in our we do that in the most in the most valued the most valued people in our lives. We meet them for coffee and we set our phones on the table in front of us. And I don't I know nobody does it on purpose. I know you don't do it on purpose. I hope I don't do it on purpose. But I've begun to think, what is that, what is that saying to the person that, have, that, have, that has asked me to meet them for coffee? Somebody's asked me to meet them for coffee, and I'll come and I'll meet them, and I'll arrive 10 minutes late, and I'll set the phone down on the table and say, just so that you know what I'm subconsciously saying, just so that you know, if this rings, I'll need to take it. This is still pretty important to me. I want, I want this conversation, but, but this is here. Just so that you know, it's, it's out of my pocket. It's on the table. I'm going to go off into a rant. Forgive me, Sorry. Get back to this. But I'm, my fear is that we, that we need this revived, revive this whole notion of friendship. This whole notion of just loving each other and standing with each other. Because there is in danger. It is in danger of becoming superficial. I think we just, I think around this area, we, it'd be really helpful to have some real honest dialogue, inner dialogue with your, inner monologue, whatever you want to do. Have it, talk it with somebody, or just talk it out with yourself. Be really honest. With yourself. So just so you know, hold, count, hold me to this. Hold me to this. I want you as family. We hold me to accountable. This all you we's in the room. That I, I, I'm, my my phone can be charged downstairs in the living room. It really can. And for those that are sitting in the room now and you're saying, Ah, but what about your alarm clock? What will you need it for your alarm? Well, actually. I think Argos or Asda probably do a five-pound alarm that you could put in your bedside and set it just as well as your phone. So that's what I'm going to do. This intentional daily rhythm. Seems really insignificant, seems maybe unimportant, but I think it's really important for me. 
I, I'm, I'm wanting to be, get to this place where I want to learn. I found that actually I'm beginning, my, how I'm set up, I, I, I learn better through observation. But sometimes I miss, I miss so much learning because my face is in the phone or my face is in the TV or my face is in some other social media activity. But I found as I begin to try and set that aside, actually there's so much that God wants to reveal, so much he wants to show me in, in, in what's going on in the world. And so I have this thing in my head that I'm wanting to start living with my head on swivel. I'm wanting to start to live more attentively. I think there's so much that he wants to reveal to us. I think there's a relational investment that he is wanting us to make, ultimately with him and also with one another. There's a relational investment that he's longing to invite us into. Two more verses that I want to leave. All of this, all of this is really difficult if you're doing it out of duty. My prayer has been, another one of my prayers for you all, us collectively, has been the words of Paul in Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. Paul said that it was his love that compelled me. If it's anything else that is compelling you to, 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 to look at the rhythms of your life, to look at trying to remind yourself of who you are, if this is compelled out of any other place than out of how he loves you, then it'll only last so long. It'll take you some place, but it'll not take you very far. So let him love you. Get to that place. Find that designated place where you can go and just let him love you. Let him shower his affection on you. Because it's in that place that then you're compelled to, to look at everything. To have a fresh look at every part of your life, every routine of your life. And you begin to redeem the routines of life. This is the final verse, Luke chapter 13. And I don't want this to, I, I, I want it to feel like a warning, but it maybe sounds too strong here. But let me read Luke 13. I'd love you to take this home, because not get to fully lay this all out. But Luke chapter 13, verse 6 to 9, tells us this short parable. And we're told that a man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down, why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year. I'll dig round it, I'll fertilize it. And if it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. And so I don't know whether this is just for me or whether this is for Grace Community Church. But this is one verse that I, of all the verses, of all the things that I've talked about, this is one verse that, I, that I'm wrestling with and can't almost feel like I don't know if I've fully got my head around what the Father is trying to say. But I feel like I'm reminding you that you were created for more. You were created for fruitfulness. You were created to bear much fruit. Jesus in his closing remarks in, in John, John 14, 15, 16 and 17 are the most wonderful verses of Scripture. It's just, it's just Jesus. If you've got a red letter book, if you've got a red letter Bible, you'll see it's all Jesus. And you say, well, what do you want to say? Remain in me and you will bear much fruit to the Father's glory. It's what you were created for. It's what you were designed for. But for some of us, and I'm looking, I promise you, I'm looking inward here. For some of us, for three years now, 
been going around the same thing. And every time, every time there's a self-examination, any time there's a, the Father comes, there's, you're just in the same place of hardness. You're in the same place of fruitlessness. And I feel like there's just this, there's just this appeal from the Father this morning that's like, I, I don't, you're not going to be, I don't think you're going to be cut down. I'm not trying to say that. Please don't take that. But it's almost like I'll give you, one, I'll give you another, I'll give you a year. And we're going to come back around to the next year. And I'm not going to let you away with it. You need to be reminded who you are. You were created for more than this. You were created for fruitfulness. And it pains me to continue to watch you go around in the same routines, to go around in the same circles, to be still in that place of hardness, to be still in that place of fruitlessness. It's almost like that, that, that thing that you got away with for the last three years. I'm calling you for more than that. And it's his grace. It's his grace that, is, that would say, I, I don't want you to keep going around in the same circles. I don't want you to keep coming to the end of another year and there's still the same fruitlessness. And he's just giving us a chance. There's something about, I think there's something about this year that he's given us this fresh chance for fruitfulness. Give me another year, Lord. That we would say that, like, the guys are going to lead us in a couple more songs of worship. Maybe that would be the prayer of your heart. God, give me one more year. And the things that we've talked about, actually, in, in digging around the soil, that, that would, come to, it would come to your memory again this morning. Because that's what he's saying. Lord, just dig, dig around. Dig around those areas of hardness. Dig around those areas that I haven't given to you, that I've held on to myself. Dig around them. I'm giving myself to you. And when you come around again this time next year, you're going to see fruit. You're going to see more. You're going to see me walk in what I was created for. And so, Father, I just pray whatever it is in this, in this parable, whatever it is in this story, Lord, that is just causing something to rise in me, God, I pray that we would be able to, to make sense of what we're saying this morning, of what we're looking at. God, I pray that there would be a reminding of who we are. God, I pray that there would be a remembrance of who you've created us to be. God, I pray that there would be the challenge of redeeming the routines of life, establishing rhythms, Lord, that would make us uh, come into that place where it feels like you're so close. God, would it be that relational investment that we're willing to put in in the lives of, of other people? Would the whole notion of friendship be revived once again? That our relationships would go deeper, that our relationships would go wider. And God, that you would... Um, Lord, just allow us to ask some really challenging questions as we start this new year. We long that when we come back in a year's time that you would find fruit to the glory of the Father. In Jesus' name.